everyone and welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I'm Professor Selena Bartlett. Today we're joined by Guy McGillivray, who is a registered psychologist working in Port Lincoln. And he has someone that is supporting children and adults with disabilities. And we're going to hear from Guy today. We're really excited to hear about all the work he's doing, but also some of the stuff he's doing around brain health and fitness. Welcome, Guy, to the podcast. Thank you, Selena. It's um, it's a bit unreal that I'm on here, but thank you very much for having me. So, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah. So I um, I live in Port Lincoln, or just outside of Port Lincoln, with my family. I have um, my wife, and I've got three young boys. Um, two of them at school, and my youngest starts kindy next year, which is a bit terrifying to think that he's already going to kindy. Um, and I have been living and working in Port Lincoln since 2015. Um, originally, I was working in Adelaide, um, but then the, um, the company I worked for asked my wife and I if um, we wanted to move to Port Lincoln to start an office here. So we um, packed up and moved here. So. so tell us a little bit about how you became a social worker and a psychologist and what made you enter into this space of look, helping kids with disabilities and adults yeah it's um i so i grew up in south africa originally and um moved here with my parents 2004 my brother and i came over and since since i was probably in high school um i've probably not intentionally, but been surrounded by friends and family who have had mental health difficulties. And it's always been an area of interest of mine, always an area of something I thought that maybe I'd get into. And so when I was living in South Africa, I started at university doing psychology, and then we moved to um, Adelaide. And I just continued studying psychology at Adelaide um, and finished my honours. And then um, because psychology is not an easy thing to qualify in. Um, I, I didn't actually get into any master's programs after I finished my honours. Um, and so I worked as a mental health clinician with um, an agency in Adelaide for a while, supporting people with mental health difficulties. And I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then my, my boss, I guess, said, why don't you study social work? because you can get into the field of mental health through that way, being a mental health social worker. And really you seem to have a passion for supporting people. So while I was um, working full-time, I studied full-time and did my social work masters and then started working as a social worker. And I did that for um, till 2019. So I did it for nearly 10 years. I was working as a social worker. And I kind of give a journey. So I'm interested to see with all of your experience in the field now, what would you say is one of the most difficult and important issues facing people that um, makes you want to stay doing what you're doing? And what difference do you see that you can make um, in this field? I think the thing I come across the most and the thing I talk probably the most about with individuals I work uh, in my work is this society we live in has this view that there are good emotions and bad emotions. 
that you should be happy, you should be excited and surprised, all these are good emotions, you should be like that all the time, and that being sad and angry and anxious and nervous are all bad emotions and you shouldn't feel them, when really that's not the human condition. You know, we have emotions and they're sometimes helpful and they're sometimes not. And helping people understand that it's okay to be sad and that our brain's actually doing that on for a reason that we get anxious for a reason really takes a lot of pressure off people and especially if you're feeling stressed because you're not happy when you feel like you should then that leads to all kinds of conditions like depression anxiety and high levels of stress so that's why i want to stay in it to help people understand what's actually going on for themselves so um we met um through our work Ash kind of joint interest in brain health. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious to know what you have learned about the brain stress and sugar and what you've been doing lately that has really changed your mind potentially about how the brain works. Did I did I tell you how I found out about like your podcast? No. Right, so about five months ago, I was doing a, a work trip, a regional trip, and I was listening on the local ABC radio, and you did an interview. On, with one of the presenters talking about um, sugar and how you can, you know, how it's possible to quit sugar. And uh, I think the presenter was quite dismissive. He was like, there's no way I could do that. I've never yes, that. I know that one. I'm sure you've heard that a million times. And I was listening to it and I thought, that's such an interesting perspective that you had. And so then I found your podcast and I started listening to them. And the more I listened, the more I went, this is something that this is something that I struggle with. This is something that I'm doing. These exact things you were describing, you know, using sugar as a way to deal with stress and a variety of other things. This is what I'm doing to myself. And I didn't even realize. Yeah, I was too, by the way. I don't know if I made that clear in my interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. And it's, it's yeah, I think it's something I see around me so much now as well. Now that I've the blinkers have come off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. so that's how I found out about your podcast. Is that, yeah. is that just the interview did. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And it's really it'd changed. Be, it'd be nice if we could share this interview with that radio interview <laughs> next. So, talk, so you know that your new le Lieutenant Governor of South Australia is also James Mukey, who's used his platform as an ophthalmologist actually to teach about this too as the Australian of the Year. So you're coming from a place where this is something that's really being you know, baked into the culture in a way. And I mean, he's, he's also faced, he's on the podcast and he's faced a lot of criticism as well for, for coming out about that. But let's talk about you though. Um, yeah. When you, when you did come become, I mean, the, I found for me personally, uh, and I'm sure you might share the same is that to see it in yourself first is quite difficult. <laughs> for me, it was a little bit, I didn't notice yeah. it for a while. And even though I've been studying, it's for a while that was that's the hardest step isn't it to recognize the link between your stress and what you're eating for example i it's completely especially when um you know in my profession i'm talking about stress so much and the things that we're doing and then realizing what i'm doing and i guess in my in my own life that i didn't even see it so for me it's and it's i can now trace it back to when I was, you know, young, like just, you know, you, 
being rewarded for doing something great by getting some sort of a sugar hit or you know you played sport and then after sport you get a drink and it's full of sugar and it's then you you know you've had a good day and so you treat yourself to a bowl of ice cream or you've had a really bad day so you dealing with that day by eating chocolate and just every day just the amount of sugar I was consuming to try and just make myself feel better yeah and this is the the interesting link for me after studying the brain by that that point honestly guy it was 20 years <laughs> um and I was studying addiction so for me to to actually see because you know when you're studying addiction you're always focusing on the substance whether for me it was alcohol for a long time the mm -hmm. sugar thing came after the the it was a serendipitous discovery so you focus on that and reducing that but then to see the cause and let's so I think that balance if we could talk a little bit about that like yes you can start reducing sugar but then you also have to deal with the reason why which is that stress component that you talk about so let's let's talk a little bit about what you did next I guess it's realizing all right so I'm using sugar um as this crutch to kind of hold myself together when I'm dealing with um again high levels of stress that and I know you've mentioned this a few times in podcasts, just the amount of stress worldwide that we've all experienced in the last two years, like just increased. Well, let's say you're a father of three children too, under the age of what? What's what's the eldest? He's eight. Yeah, three children yeah. under the age of eight. That is not a that's not a calm, calming time of <laughs> our lives either. Uh yeah, they're they're all pocket rockets, my three boys. Yes. Uh, they had their book week dress up yesterday and uh, they all went as ninjas because that's the boys <laughs> can only dress up as ninjas so um yeah so so we're okay so I'm, I'm having all the sugar and, and i'll be honest that reaction that radio presenter had is you know the reaction i've had like there's no way i can quit it there's no way you know this is just a part of my life you know but then you described how it actually helped the chemistry and how it actually the wiring that goes into that it's like well okay let's see if we can actually do this let's see if i can actually and it took you know three or four weeks of detox which is you know did you that, do that. can you talk a little bit like the audience is really really interested in what you're saying right now because i get asked this a lot and i tell them what i did but everyone's so different so i'm mm -hmm. interested in your perspective of how you started the journey like for me it was kind of one thing at a time and James Mukey talks about going cold turkey and having withdrawal symptoms so I'm interested in what you actually did um I guess I, I quit things in the past and I know you know for some people you know one step at a time works perfectly for them but I knew for myself that I have to completely cut it it has to be a complete commitment because if I, as soon as I start letting a little bit in then it just yeah can snowball um I remember at university they talked about people are either leavers or finishers, you know. And I grew up with a brother who would always leave his Easter chocolate for weeks and weeks and weeks, and mine would be gone after one day. So I knew that I had to completely cut it all out, like no sugar um, apart from fruit. Um, and even then, it's like limiting just the amount of fruit. Yeah. Just like everything gone. And three weeks, three or four weeks, it was it was hard. Like the physical withdrawals like the headaches the body just feeling like the need to have it 
But after that, once it kind of mellowed out, it was like, okay, you know what? I can actually do this. But as you said, like I wasn't dealing with the underlying cause, which is stress from work and just stress from life. So, Well, you're putting together a really big part of your life right now. So there's no doubt you're not going to change that part of it, right? So it's what you can do instead to deal with it. That's the key, isn't it? Definitely. And you um, you then talk about another podcast about your morning routine, how you sort of, you know, go through the three, the three things that you're grateful for in the morning while looking. So I was like, you know what? If the sugar thing worked, well, let's see if this works too. So, you know, in the mornings now I get up and I try to get up before the kids get up because that's just a tornado <laughs> once they get up. But, um, and just kind of just think about the things that I'm grateful for. Um, what are some of those, just to, if you don't mind sharing? Family, friends, um, like my religious faith is really important to me. So just being thankful for that and actually spending the time in sort of in my own sort of meditative prayer, just in, just like, like let's just bring everything down. Let's start the day full. And then I can tell now, I might, you know, suddenly feel like I'm really snappy at home. Like, why am I being so snappy? I haven't actually done this for a couple of days. Oh, gee, okay. So next morning, do it. And suddenly, it's like, I just feel like the days just aren't as crazy. They just feel like a just understanding of what my body is going through, my brain's going through. Just these things can be done. And it's, um, I guess, which is one of my, um, why I was really excited to come on here with you is to be able to tell people that you can actually do this. Like you might be sitting listening to this and going, there's no way I can quit sugar. It's part of my life. It's, I just have stress in my life. That's just the way it is, but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, change. absolutely. And especially in your line of work where you're dealing with people and, and supporting a lot of people in the community. So a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, and that's really admirable. And thank you for doing that for our society. It's really important work. But also being able to help them see this too, which might help alleviate a little bit of the pressure potentially on how they're feeling about themselves too, because they might copy what you're doing, for example. Yeah, it, it's, um, as I say, practice what you preach, you know, and um so it can be very, all very well sitting there telling people how to manage their stress better and how to, you know, find some helpful ways to manage that stress. It, you know, sometimes it's unavoidable. We just go through stressful periods, but how are we coping with that? Yeah. So we say that to somebody, but if you're not doing it, then it's, that's, it's very hypocritical. I sort of, in, in my view, it's like, I do this, but I'm doing this the thing I'm telling you not to do. So I'm trying to change that really and try and be more, actually you know being able to say listen i know this works and if you want to do it you can do it so yeah the interesting thing i discovered after a long time of working on addiction was what what came to be the kind of thing i discovered not me personally but theoretically addiction is really a met is medication for stress but i was trying to study how to develop medications to reduce alcohol consumption until it became very clear that, you know, we, we're talking about everyday stresses, but there's also stress, stress that's baked into our DNA from many generations as well. 
And this is the bit that some people may not be aware of and certainly took me a long time to work that out for myself too. So yes, we have these kind of, sometimes I call them good stresses, like to be a great parent and put stress around that. That's a really good thing for the next generation. So they're good and they're good stresses, right? There's stress of getting your career going, stress of running a family. Yes, it's stressful and you've got to handle it well, but they're also good things, right? They're putting your life together in a really effective way. But then there's these other stresses that what I, what we call toxic stress. And these are the things that um, have been called adverse childhood experiences by Ander and Folletti and others, you know, that are affecting the way our genes are expressed, which then make people more liable for addiction, for example. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I see, you know, you can see it generationally. Like I can, um, I've actually got my mum onto your podcast as well. And uh, thank you. <laughs> we actually talk about, like, you will listen to an episode, we'll be like, oh, have you listened to this one? And we'll be like, you know, we, you know, we both struggle with this. Like, it's something that we both have. And then my mum will be like, oh, my mum struggled with this as well. Like, it's, it kind of, since you start to see the sort of pattern that develops. So now, because I can see a pattern, I'm trying to not pass that on to my kids and support them to understand. So it's, you know, it's even with sugar, like, you know, there's, there's sugar in everything. It's, just, <laughs> it's terrible, you know, isn't it? You don't realize. Yes. And just trying to say, like, I'm not going to be like, you can't have any sugar parent. Like, but also going, you know, let's try this thing. This thing actually tastes really nice, but it doesn't actually have any, you know, refined sugar in it cool let's have that instead or you know let's we have a treat but it's really a special occasion and it's not just every day so just trying to change that mindset and i guess even more so like for me the sugar was such a big thing because like i've got this uh, family history of type 2 diabetes like my grandfather had it wow and like it's so this is really important too for I, i i know like i can do you know, everything right. And I still might get this thing when I get older. And my dad. I, I think it's got a really good preventative effect on processed food and sugar for sure. Been shown to reduce some, you know, you're doing a lot of prevention. Which, yeah, because I, I want to be around for my kids as long as I can. Have you been doing your blood work? I did that when I went vegan for a year. I did my bloods over three times during the year and sure, 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 saw a change in my blood work as well as I did that I um well before I heard your podcast I'd actually been to the GP the GP had said listen you know you need to be very careful now like I was um I put on too much weight and which you know it just happens over time you don't even realize that it's happening to yeah, that was me too <laughs> he was like listen you your family history is really not great medically wise and you really need to take better care of yourself and then I was thinking oh well I exercise a lot, like, and why is this still, you know, why is this still a problem? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm as I would have said, I was healthy. I was exercising, you know, 20 to 30 kilometers of running a week and plus other, plus running after kids and stuff like that. And, and then it's that realization that it's, it's not just about what I was expelling, but what I was taking in. And, you know, I've been back to see the GP and there's, you know, lost that extra weight that I put on, which wasn't my intention when I quit sugar. That's just a, No, well, I didn't realize that either until afterwards. Bonus, which is great. But he was like, you know, yeah, you're in a much better place now. Like you got to keep this up because you're out of that red zone. You know, like you've, did you pass on to him what you did? I did. He kind of looked at me like, 
Really? <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, sometimes I feel like cheapies, again, sort of tell you what they're doing and tell you what to do, but don't expect you to actually do it. Um, so, you know, so there's these added benefits of these. Um, I, I don't want to pass these things on to my kids and I want to show them that you can make these changes and I want to be around as long as I can. How did your partner, your wife, feel about this too? Um, she's supportive. She thinks I don't need to cut it out completely, but she's she's got huge um, restraint and she's a she's a lever. So she can you know she can have a bowl of ice cream a couple of times a week, and that's she just has a bit, and then that's it. You know, <laughs> but that's not me. And I'm like oh, I've had it once, I should have it every day, and you know it's just like continuous. So. Um, she was supportive, didn't think I had to do it, but, you know, wasn't going to stop me from doing it. But, um, and other people were like, yeah, well, when you put, once you go back on the sugar, your body might not react. And I was like, well, I don't actually want to go back on it. Like, I'm not going to. So then it's like, you're going to not have sugar anymore. I'm like, you know, I might have cake at a birthday. Yeah, moderation. Yeah, I'm not going to, and it's, it's, I'm not going to make it in every day thing yeah just to give you a bit of um heads up about my journey um i found now i can't i really don't really like it it's really i mean i still will have some when we're out because you're still living in the world but it's so interesting my whole perception of it compared to the past is completely different i really don't like eating cake i really don't um it's really weird i would make a choice over savory now it's it's really strange for me because I like you was the like I have the same background history um, too because my mother really interestingly my mother used to when I was the eldest child and I grew up in a small country town in Queensland and I would go and get her and she had four kids so quite stressful in a small town and and I would she would send me to the shop to get her bars of chocolate that she would hide under her pillow. Um, and then turns out because she had low blood sugar or something, so she was probably also really stressed. Um, so I saw all of that so, and witnessed all of that too. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, how you can make these changes. I just wish I made my changes before I had my own children because I was a bit late to the party. You're very lucky your kids are under eight. I didn't really come to the discovery of sugar addiction until my youngest was 14. <laughs> So I did a lot of bad things because they were growing up in America in the Bay Area. And so their food, I mean, you think sugar's bad here, but over there it is seriously everywhere, including the bread, for example. I remember having, when I backpacked after high school, like the first slice of bread I had in America, I was like, oh, what is that? What does that taste? And they're like, oh, it's just bread. I'm like, that's not bread. What? And the bread lasts for weeks and weeks and you're like, that's weird that the bread's lasting for so long. No, high fructose corn syrup is the yeah. answer. Um, yeah, and I guess, and it's that, uh, that realization of just, I mean, I, I look back and I'm like, oh, I could have changed it so long ago. But you get to the point where, like, as you we talk about, like, oh, my brain's going, well, you can't. You know, this is the way it is. This is who I am. I've got this thing. I like sugar, and that's it. But you can change at any time. But, you know, the interesting thing about that is, is, isn't it funny that people when they're smoking don't feel the same way about that? Like that you rarely see people saying, oh, well, I'm smoking and that's how it is. 
now because of all of the public health messaging that came out. It took 25 years for that message to change because back in the 80s when everyone was smoking, it was the same thing, hmm. What you how you describe that now. But the public health messaging around sugar is just not there. Yeah, I, I um, actually listened, listened to that podcast with the lieutenant governor. I was actually doing like a, a long run and I actually listened to the podcast when I'm doing a long run because it's, Keeps my brain. Yeah, that's what I do too. And I was just sitting, when they talk about that smoking aspect, I was like, I really hope it doesn't take 20 years from now for people to kind of get onto this, get off the sugar wagon. But I'm not sure. um, Robert Lustig also, I don't know if you listened to his podcast, that was the processed food one. So he's from UCSF and he's showing that chicken breasts, for example, are full of salt and are pumped with things as well to yeah. make them heavier in the supermarket. So I used to think, I used to feed my kids that thinking I was doing a healthy thing too. I mean, honestly, I did everything you're not meant to do as a parent. So I haven't made much indent in that, what you ha- are doing. I didn't get the same opportunity. Yeah, yeah I heard the chicken breast one. I'm like, so now I buy the free range chicken breast. Yes. It yeah. costs so much more, but I'm like. It's worth I it. I don't want to. I didn't even know. You just like that's chicken breast, you know. And it's um, and we try by um, you know free range as much as possible. But you just buy it from the shops, and because it's a quick meal for kids, and it's you're like, oh, it's healthy. It's chicken breast. Hugh Jackman ate it to become Wolverine, you know. Like it's you know he, but it's to find out there's so much rubbish in it. You're like oh gosh, okay. All I right. know. That too. Yeah, it is a shame that to have eat really healthy is not simple. But it really, I guess when we talk to, when people want to think about what to do, I think the way to look at it is things in moderation, but but be as close to where the food source came from, meaning, you know, organic meat, but then plants that are very close to where they came from, like the fruit. So people ask me a lot about fruit versus processed sugar. And the difference between fruit is that it's covered in skin and to be able to consume the same amount compared to in a drink, it's much, you need a lot. And you're getting all the fiber and the vitamins and other other um, things with fruit compared to processed sugar. So I think the way to think about when you're looking at your plate is think how far did this go, how much effort was in this to get to my plate, how much processing took place. So that's yeah. what um, Robert and James talk about a lot too. It's um, such a great way to think about it. And, you know, it can seem daunting if you, you know, you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, jeepers, all these different things. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, you just got to start with one at a time. You know, yeah. It's, uh, and, sim- and then it becomes easy with practice, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I was, I've been sitting in everyone's shoes that are listening to this, but it's totally worth it because, because I can tell you the trajectory for type two diabetes, which is going up all the time. Um, is medicine that costs a fortune and then if that stops working then it's injecting yourself twice a day with insulin and i see people doing that and that's so this is a lifelong thing that also has large consequences that aren't really talked about a lot yeah. you know you don't want to have to, you don't want to be doing that either so making these small changes now um so for the audience that's asking so how much can i have the World Health Organization just changed its guidelines because of all of this new research that's come out to nine teaspoons a day for men, six teaspoons a day for women, and five teaspoons a day for children. 
And to give you a, an idea in your head what that might look like, um, think about a can of Coke, like a, a lot, not the soup, not a bottle, but just a large can of Coke. And that's around about 20 teaspoons of sugar in that that's not sugar-free. People also ask questions about sugar-free and that's chemicals and they also can have long-term health consequences. So even though if there is such things as, you know, zeros now on different types of soft drink, that's something else to think about as well. Yeah, I think you, on one of your podcasts you said that, um, or you had someone on that said the sweetness, like it's only half as good as like, um, it's only half as bad as normal sugar. And you're like, oh my gosh, but you told that it was way better and stevia and all these other options, but it's it's only just a bit better than um yeah. the thing it's it's i explained that to my son the other day he said to me oh um well my friends drink coke at school i was like okay um he's like well can i drink coke and i was like well do you know what's in coke and he was like no and i was like mm, most people don't <laughs> i couldn't tell you what's in coke all i know that's in there is a lot of sugar and i, I showed it i showed it to him like how much sugar is in coke that 20 teaspoons He's like, is that that's how much sugar is in one can? I'm like, yeah, your friends are drinking that whole can. And that's that's five times as much as you need in your body. And he's in a day. In a day, in a day, yeah. And it's the kind of look on his face is like, really? I'm like, and that's yeah. why um kids are struggling to sit still too and learn. Because remember, we talked and I know you know this and understand it because it impacts uh the prefrontal cortical circuits, which mean that it's harder to learn and remember an executive function, which is what we, all these young brains are trying to do every day while they're sitting in school. Mm. Um, teachers were telling me uh, also that there's all sorts of other things like monster. So it's not just Coke, it's monster that has all these other things that are more like uppers too in them, all sorts of things. And, and in fact, anyone listening to this, who's a teacher, uh, a teacher at a school in Brisbane, Kelvin Grove, actually did this amazing sugar class, sugar um, exercise for her home economics class, and pulled out all the different drinks that were around the schoolyard, and had the kids uh, measure out the teaspoons by taking a white plastic bag and spooning it in for each of the different drinks, and then doing all these conversions, etc. and and sent me the kind of curriculum that she taught them about that so that was really cool it's something anyone can do as well if they're trying to help kids see it visually because it's hard to see it if it's all dissolved isn't it and even um even adults you know it's you, you say to someone you know nine teaspoons of sugar i was like well, okay what does that look like and then you actually see it so like, well that's not really that much and if you had to add up all the things that you've eaten for the day that are processed and then you're like well that's really more than the sugar you needed apart from anything else you've eaten, chocolate bars, drinks, anything like that. Yeah. Well, the one that really threw me when I really got into it, so the way I started was to turn everything around and start looking at all the things I was eating. And the one that really threw me, which really upset me, was low-fat strawberry yogurt because I used to feed that to the children. And that's that's like drinking. And, so, and also tomato sauce. Yeah. No idea these were sugar-laden substances at all. I had no idea. So... Um, anyway, just for the audience that's listening to say, well, why is, if this is so, why is this embedded in our food chain if it's so bad for us? And it kind of started like a long time ago. 
you know, when we said fat was really bad. So the fat got exchanged for the sugar over decades. Um, so if, if, if people are wondering why this is happening. Yeah, it's generational. You know, it's um, what you learn from your parents and like my uh, um, you know, sugar has always been sort of a part of our family and and then that was, I can see that part of my grandparents as well and just uh, my mum's mother, my grandma, um, she was just like, she never had any sugar. She was just, and I just thought that was amazing. Like how, she must be a superwoman. Like how does she not have, even at Easter, she won't even have any chocolate. Like, oh my gosh, she's like a superhero. Mm. But um, I just see, you know, she understood the, the impact that it had on her and she just chose not to do it and the realization that that's not um that seems like the minority but it could be the majority i'm also curious to know as you lessened the your intake of sugar did you find its impact on helping you manage stress better for example it what it meant for me was that i needed to find better ways to manage it so doing more meditation and prayer doing um, the morning routine um, and using exercise not as a way to kind of burn off all the calories I'd had but rather this is actually I need those those feel-good hormones I was getting because of the sugar I can get it from exercise so let me focus on that rather than using sugar to give me that same feeling so the other thing that um, we talk about a lot too, because, you know, stress adds up during the day, like right? because mm. you're getting your kids to school and then you've got, got your job and you know, and some days can be worse than others in terms of what's coming at you at work or the people you're helping could be coming with more, with more stress than another day, for example. So one other thing that we're kind of learning um, is that uh, going outside during the day, like taking brain breaks, like five five minutes, five time today this is the work of sandy chapman at the center for brain health i was just visiting with her um, is another great way of limiting the way the stress is going in to make you crave more for things that by the end of the day so um, you know going outside um, taking a really wide view out a window like panoramic vision opens up the visual circuits to the autonomic nervous system to help these are things you can also help your clients you're with um and the other thing that i want to talk to you about is something that's really helped us is taking a cold shower in the morning at the end of your warm shower is to try putting on the back of your neck because it's another great way of tapping into the way the stress is wired into the amygdala through mm. the brainstem and this is the work of wim hof um so he does this work where he does uh, cold exposure with breathing exercises with conscious control. And I was very lucky to interview the person that imaged his brain, for example. And personally, I found that to be another incredible tool in the kit. If you have extra days, <laughs> if you're raising three children and you're trying to do it purpose, you know, purposely, it's not easy. Yeah. No. I think, I think parenting is the hardest thing to do myself um, of all the things I've had to do. I wish I could go back and do it again, but I probably would have made the same mistakes anyway. But anyway, so that's another thing for the audience to think about and for you to maybe have a little go at. And it's something I've found to be incredibly wonderful for tapping into neuroplasticity 
mm-hmm. like showing you, just like you've done by reducing sugar and saying, oh, wow, I actually did that and I can keep doing that. And I didn't think I could imagine what else I can do that I'm not aware of. The same with the cold showers thing. It's another way of tapping into that potential the brain has for empowerment and change and neuroplasticity. I um, I try to, to go when I can, busy diary, but if I can't take my lunch break, um, I'll try and go for like a, a run during my lunch break. And, you know, being in Port Lincoln, it's right on the beach and it's beautiful and there's lots of running trails. So I go, go for lunch break, go for a quick run and then there's... How lovely. Just go, you know, dive in the ocean afterwards and then go oh, back to... Oh, fantastic. It's so cold. <laughs> cleanses everything and then you get back in the second half of the day when you kind of... Wow. We'd normally sort of feel that slump, but you don't feel that because yeah. you're energized. And then I'm very fortunate. I um, I have like a 35, 40 minute commute to work, but it's not driving through a city. It's you know driving on a country road, and yeah, because as you said, like stress builds up during the day. So if I haven't had those uh, some sort of releases during the day, if it's just been flat out seeing seeing clients, that 40 minutes are really trying to shut down everything you know either have no noise or or some sort of you know just chilled relaxed music just to kind of let it out you know, kind yeah. of, i'm not getting home like and i'm yeah. and the kids are there and i'm like and then because that's when you, you know it's that, yeah absolutely i don't want to be that grumpy yeah, but it's normal you're human it's totally normal and also in your line of work, I think why I love this interview is because you need to help. There's so many people doing the work you're doing that aren't uh, realizing that they're taking on everyone else's stress too and not taking those ways of releasing it because it then goes into their body. And you see this so many times. I'm sure you've seen this in your profession, in the caring professions. People get very unwell in their body. Very well. And it's... Um... A friend of mine who's also a psychologist, you know, he said, Oh man, I've got like 13 weeks of leave. And I said to him, dude, that's that's not okay. That is not like you have to take leave. And he's like, but I've been so busy. I'm like, that doesn't matter. You know, people can wait. Like if you if you haven't taken leave for a couple of years, you're gonna you know, burn out. Like it's it's I mean just time just passes and suddenly you realize you've been doing all these things these things to kind of potentially hurt yourself or make yourself sick. Well, you don't realise it, do you? It adds up so slowly and and you think you're doing, I remember this so clearly, you think you can handle anything, to be honest, and you just wonder why other people can't do what you can manage to do until it's too late. <laughs> and then it's like, bang, <laughs> oh, oh, well, looks like I can't. <laughs> and, um, and then it does end up in your body and all of these health conditions that you end up with that, are hard to reverse the longer you leave it. It is everything's reversible at any time. But I think what you're alluding to here um, is so important that you're helping so many people in your profession because they need it even more than other people, to be honest. These caring professions need so much um, extra brain health and fitness uh, to and doing these simple things every day. They need it more than anyone almost. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I, um, I have 
colleagues. You know, I work with all sorts of other uh, allied health professionals, and um, you know, someone come to work and they're just feeling they're just looking really flat and and you know probably a bit of a cough. And it's like, why are you here? And they get asked to work. So I'm like, no, you go go home, take your sick day, just chill. Or you know, we I think we feel like we have to be superheroes and just push through and don't take your leave and because. But that's not like we get given leave. I'm very lucky I get sick leave and carers leave, which is really handy with kids and um, and you know my annual leave. And I make sure that I finish my 12 months without any leave left. Like I'm just going to use it all up, make sure I spend all that time. Absolutely. Because I should be at work. Well, I think it's so critical because um, if your patients look at you, or your clients are looking at you and you're not taking care of yourself, then it says, what are you doing for me? Because if you can't take care of yourself, how can I believe what you're asking me to do, Definitely. for example? Genuine, for sure, yeah. I'm also very lucky my wife is very observant and she knows me very well and she'll, she'll be like, you know, you need just hear your shoes, go run, you know, go for a run because right now you are not <laughs> in space, you know, and it's, I think it was maybe... I don't know, four months into 2020, into COVID, July-ish. And um, my wife was like, this is not okay. Like where you're at is not okay. So, you know, throughout work, we've got like, you know, counselling, free counselling services that you can get through work. And so I had a few sessions and it's just, you know, we were talking about the stuff that we're talking about now. Just you have to let go of this stuff. You can't bring it home with you. You need to let it out and because otherwise you're just going to keep eating yourself up. I did this amazing podcast I just posted with Mario Martinez and he talks a lot about the four factors that allow people to live the longest and healthiest. Um, and one of them, which I thought was really fascinating, he talks about righteous anger. So this is the anger we balance between the anger of watching what people have had to suffer through and feeling really angry about it and being, and that's called righteous anger and not then taking it into the rest of your life, but, but accepting the fact that it's not your fault, but then still being angry about how people are treated is fine, mm. but then balancing because that's healthy for you actually, rather than suppressing it and and then, but then also balancing it across the rest of your life, not taking that anger into the rest of your relationships as well. Um, yeah. And he talks a lot about this of two women that he talked about where one was sec they were both sexually abused by their father, and the father was dying, and talking about how one was looking after the father still, but the other one was really angry and saying he couldn't, she couldn't wait till he passed away, and saying that that was righteous anger. And that uh, the one one was happy, and the other one was really sad and depressed. Mm. So anyway, I thought that was it's just an interesting because I always think about this for your professions where you're on a daily basis seeing the worst of some of the worst things that are happening around to people, and so being able to separate yourself from that is so critically important for your own long term health. It is, and I. I when I explain to kids and adults as well, when we talk about those helpful and unhelpful emotions, and but then the kids will feel like, well, what about anger? And I'm like, okay, so you, do you feel like anger can't be helpful? They're like, no, anger is anger is bad. You shouldn't ever feel angry. So you're like, okay, well, what happens if you're doing a test at school and you do really badly and you get really angry with yourself, but you go home and you study really hard for the next week 
and you come back in and you ace your next test. Was that anger helpful? And it's realizing, oh, wait, there is, there's room for some of this stuff. Like there's, and you, it's just how you use that feeling. And yeah. then stress can be really helpful. Like stress, what is, what is, it? I, um, what is that saying? If it wasn't until the last minute, nothing would ever get done. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes we need stress, like to get assignments finished or get a deadline met. And that gets it's called, it's called you stress, isn't it? The stress that puts our life together because putting a life together is not easy. Yeah, I agree. And, and okay, well, I'm going to channel that stress and use it. But once it's done, I'm going to, you know, sort of cleanse myself of that and let it go. And, and uh, sometimes sadness is a way to pick up that you need to make a change on something because it's not where you should be. I was just talking to someone um, today about that and that she took the great step of going and doing something about it, like signing up for that course, for example, and then realizing, oh, my God, that's why I, what I need to do. That's why I was feeling lost or sad about something. Yeah, and uh, it's, uh, you, know, you look at anger and we talk about grief as well, you know, that we have we actually have to go through grief like we have to allow ourselves to experience that to be able to overcome and going through that with adults who've um, had grief 20 years with the grief that they've never they're just suppressed they just don't want to deal with it and the damage that it kind of can do to your life that it eats away just absolutely being with that grief and let yourself experience it yeah. And, yeah and then move on from it too afterwards that's the key isn't it mm-hmm. um I'm really grateful for you um, and everything you're doing to support our community in Australia. Thank you. Um, Thank you for being a great dad for your three boys. That's probably one of the best things you could ever be. Um, And your wife too. Um, I think we're really grateful. Thank you for keep up the great work. Come back on in a year or two and tell us some more things that you've learned and doing and maybe even what all the people you're looking after are learning from you. I'd be really so interested in that. Maybe there's a space here, Guy, for us to work with people in your professions to, for them to come to the realisation that they need to do this for themselves first. It's not, it's not selfish. It's actually self-care and love, and that is without that it's very hard to look after other people if you're not well yourself. Yeah, I agree. And... I am um, the colleagues I work with. I've been trying to get them to to listen as well to podcasts. It's a slow process. Some people, are. yeah, it is. It's like that sometimes. Yeah, but I, I agree. It's um, I would like. I guess as I said, the reason I wanted to come on and was so grateful that you um, asked. And that, as I said, I felt really listening to some of the guests you've had are completely just unqualified for this, but. I disagree. uh, I think the hardest thing is actually doing it. I mean, it's so easy to talk about something. It's much harder to actually make it, to do it and make it happen and see the changes and then want to help other people. I think that's like such a, I think that's amazing. Thank you. So really appreciative. Keep jumping in the ocean. There's nothing like surrounding yourself in coal and nature. Like that's one of my favorite things in the whole world is in the morning to jump in an ocean the wow. thing that I find so fascinating about that is, is I've come to see that you're completely immersed in nature, aren't you, compared to just walking in a park. When you're in the ocean, you're literally through the salt and you're just literally immersed in nature. 
It's amazing feeling. Yeah, it is. I just have to make sure I use the shark cage. Yeah. So otherwise, <laughs> I'm going to be included in that. <laughs> oh, it's so lovely to meet you, and I uh, look forward to hearing everything that happens, and thank you for all the work you're doing too. And thank you for your podcast. Um, as I said, it's made a huge change in my life, and I hope that it, you know more people can listen to it and, and learn and, and know that you can do these things. You can make these changes. It's not too late, and it's not as hard as you think it is. Yeah, and you feel so good, don't you? Empowering. Definitely. The more we can help people empower themselves to empower their brain health, the better. Um, so thank you very much, Guy. No thank you, Sina.